Hi, this is Eli from the Magic Highway Podcast, and you are listening to the BS Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Soren with the Magic Our Way Podcast. My name is Mr. Mononymous, and I'll be your chief flight attendant today. We'll begin boarding in just a few minutes, but first I'd like to acquaint you with the rest of your flight crew. First, we have your pilot and co-pilots, Kevin and Danny. These artistic buffs will launch you from New Orleans to soar over all things Disney. Your entertainment director is Ivory Comics proprietor Eli. Be sure to check your in-flight magazine for a sneak peek at his comic, Project Geisha. Nice work, pal. Soon you'll be airborne. If you or your little aviators would like to reach the flight crew at any time, be sure to check out magicrway.com, where you can find links to Facebook, Twitter, email, or send in a voicemail. And, of course, you can book your next Soarin' flight with your platinum-level earmarked travel agent, Lee Lastavica, from Magical Moments Vacations. Remember, you've got a friend in Lee. Okay, let's review. Kevin, Danny, Eli Lee, Artistic Buffs, Disney stuff. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Chombo, everyone. Rambe. Jumbo, everyone! Harambe! And welcome to another edition of the, the Magic, Magic Our Way Podcast. Podcast. Sante Sun, everyone. You are listening to the Magic Our Way podcast from New Orleans, Louisiana, and the United States of America. We are Artistic Buffs talking about Disney stuff. www.magicourway.com is where you can find us. My name is Kevin. And I am Danny. And with us today, we have our resident comic genius from ivorycomics.com, Mr. Eli Hodges. Ivory, how you doing, Eli? Sounds good every time you say it, Kevin. Get you pumped up, huh? That's right. You like that. Makes I, you happy. You know what I like more? What's that? Artistic buffs talking imagineering stuff. Yeah, I'm talking you're right. About. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, today, Lee couldn't make our show. He's out on assignment, firing teenagers. <laughs> Sitting in the jail. <laughs> but in the spirit of Lee, you know, I figure I might as well, you know. Here comes the money. Here we go. All right, there we go. Every day, all day. <laughs> Just a little bit for Lee. Um, but guys, I, I am very excited. I know we're having some little fun here in the intro and stuff, but we have an even more incredible interview that we're about to present to you guys. Um, we had a chance to sit and chat with the one, the only Roland Fargo Crump Jr. The otherwise, yes, otherwise known as uh, Roly Crump. Guys, look, this was a treat for us, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, we... We didn't want to announce it until it was absolutely official that they were going to be on the line today. And so we put it out there and we let people send in questions. And we got a few that were emailed, a few that were... We got to as many as we could, but... yes. We were given 30 minutes and we went an hour and yes. we kept going. So, I mean, you got to understand the guy's what, 87, 87. 87 years old. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, 87 years old. Cash, you clear. 87 years old. Yeah, I, I, I still do it. He can still do it. But remembers everything. There's yes. not a lapse Vividly. in memory. But at the same time, he can only talk to us whippersnappers for so long. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and we do appreciate his wife, Marie, mm-hmm. for also being on the show. We want to give her some love. Very Marie nice was lady. great. Very she nice was lady. awesome. She helped with the interview and stuff. And uh, this is a great interview. This was an incredible experience for us. And so we don't want to delay your experience of this any longer. So, guys, enough of our jibber jabber. Let's go make some magic. For today's show, we present a man whose influence can be seen in the Dizzy Parks today. He had the pleasure of working alongside names that you've heard of from Mark Davis, Yale Gracie, Mary Blair, and Walt Disney himself, just to name a few. And I think it is fair to say that they had the pleasure of working alongside with him. Mawekins, ladies and gentlemen, we humbly present to you Mr. Roly Crump. How you doing, sir? Oh, I'm very good. Thank you. Rolly, I wanted to ask you uh, right off the bat, I, I'm a huge fan of your artwork, and I find it to be uh, unique and creative. How would you describe your artistic style? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, it started off, I loved doing cartooning, and so I was a cartoonist first. And then as time went on, I kept, I, I had absolutely no training whatsoever, 
And I know, for an example, uh, when I was working in animation at the studio, uh, this movie about uh, Latrec came out. And I came to work the next day, and I said to the guys in the room with me, I said, who the hell's Latrec? <laughs> I didn't even know who Picasso was. So I was about as naive as you could get. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story in the fact that I was talking with Walt one day, and he asked, and I told him I'd like to teach at his college. He says, no, Roly, he says, uh, you're going to be too busy for that. But he says, tell me, what's your background? And I said, high school. And he said, no, 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 I'm serious about this. He says, uh, how did you learn to do all these things? And I said, I learned them from you. And he was really shocked to have me say that. And I said, because when I was in animation, I was constantly being moved from one room to another, which meant I was working with different artists in animation. And I said, Walt, I said, I learned from every one of them. I said, I think I was a good sponge, and I learned. And I said, because of that, your open-door policy is what really trained me. Wow. Wow, so Walt Disney was really your teacher. That's awesome. Yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Were you happy in animation, or did you want to move beyond? Well, no, I wanted to move uh, beyond uh, later on, but I was so goddamn thrilled. (laughs) <laughs> to work on animated cartoons, Peter Pan's and, you know, uh, Lady and the Tramp and all of that, and then finally Sleeping Beauty. I was thrilled. But I was also, <clears throat> during my uh, years, I was also learning about all these other uh, disciplines. And so I really started uh, started looking around about something else because I knew I wouldn't be an animator. In fact, Eric Larson, the animator that I worked for, he says, I know you don't want to be an animator. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to give you a little job before you quit up, uh, quit that. He says, I'm going to have you do all the spots on the puppies. <laughs> so I, that one sequence where all the puppies are watching television, I, I did all the spots in every one of those, on those, uh, t- uh, those little guys. So anyway, but he knew that I wanted to grow out, grow out of animation. How did that, what made Walt choose you for WED? Well, actually, it was based on the fact that I was madly in love with the model shop, and I had to go out there all the time and watch uh, Fred and everybody work building models. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to work for WED. Mm-hmm. So as time went on, uh, my little propellers that I built for um, uh, a show that I had at the studio that Walt saw, and these little propellers ran off the air conditioning, and I was having so damn much fun with them. Well, Walt saw them in my exhibit. And I guess that was one of the things that triggered him to decide he wanted me to work for WED because he loved models. And my little models, of course, were all run off the air conditioning. And I think he thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until he got the bill. <laughs> well, hey, Mr. Crown, this is Kevin here. And I have a quick question about the propellers. Um, yeah. I, I've heard you tell the story, and I want to build a propeller myself for my <laughs> office because I'm so intrigued by how this whole thing worked. Um, could you describe how I would go about doing something like that? Well, yes, I have a little diagram I can mail you. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Actually, that'd be, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, that's better. People have asked me that before. Okay, now, the story goes <clears throat> that uh, Waythel Rogers, who was an animator I worked for when I was an assistant, and I went into his office one day, and this little propeller was running. It was on top of his lamp. And I said, Waithel, what is that? He said, never mind. He said, just a little propeller. I said, well, tell me how to do it. He said, I can't tell you. (laughs) So I said, yeah, but because I was fascinated with uh, movement. So every time I went in to have him check my work, I'd say, are you going to tell me yet? He said, nope, no, that's a secret. And this went on for weeks. And then finally one day he says, okay, I give in, Rolly. He says, I I won't tell you how to do it, but he says, I'll sell it to you. And I said, okay, I'll buy it. I said, how much? He says, a penny. So I gave him a penny. He says, ah, now that you've paid me the, the money, he says, I'll tell you how I did it. And he went into great details because I had tried to build those propellers at home with the, with the same uh, clip that held up erasers. But I used a nail to make the indentant, indentation. And, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, you use a ballpoint pen to make the indentation. He says, that way it's very smooth. And when it rides on the, the push plane, it, it rides perfectly. And I said, oh, my God. So I went back to my room, and I built a little fake uh, uh, um, 
helicopter and I put the propeller on the uh, helicopter and it was a little cardboard cutout and I had it in my office and I was so damn thrilled with my little propeller with the helicopter. <clears throat> now the next story, which gets better, one of the kids in the art department came to me and said, Rolly, how do you do that? Because he fell in love with my, my little helicopter. And I said, well, I'm not going to charge you. I'm just going to tell you. So I told him how to do it. And he said, oh, thank you. So he says, why don't you come down? I'm going to make one in a few days. So I went down to see him and his propeller. And I was upset because his propeller was bigger than mine. So I, <laughs> I went back and I started building all kinds of propellers. I had them inside of wine bottles and brandy snifters. <laughs> I also had them on top of uh, wine bottles. And, and I just had a ball. So pretty soon I had a room filled with propellers. <clears throat> I probably had at least 30 different little pieces of sculpture. Wow. Well, T. He, who, you know, was in animation, and he came to me and he says, You know, Roy, those are, those are really good. He says, <clears throat> You should have an exhibit in the library. So I did, and it turned out that Walt came to my exhibit, <clears throat> and he saw the propellers, and he never forgot them. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. If I could take you back to your days in animation, real quick, um, on this show, uh, Danny, Eli, we, we tout that we're artists in our own rights. So Danny and Eli happen to be visual artists. I myself happen to be a performing artist in the form of a musician. And I was reading your book, and I stumbled across the term moldy fig style. And I'm very uh, uh, interested in lear- knowing more about what that is. It, you said it was a term that is hardly ever used nowadays? Oh, moldy fig? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's a great story. <clears throat> Ward Kimball... Uh, came up with that term, moldy fig. And what it really meant was he was talking about the uh, <clears throat> design in animation, the different styles of designs. And uh, what he related to was that when they did the little Mickey Mouse cartoons in the beginning with the little white gloves and the stripes on the white gloves, mm-hmm. well, Ward Kimball called that moldy fig because it meant a, 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 an old time frame. And it was so old that it became moldy. And oh, so basically, and of course, you know, he, what he was doing was to, uh, doing much more stylized animation in the scenes that he worked on. So that's where Moldy Fig came from. And, you know, I've never heard of anyone else talk about it but me, which just I think is kind of interesting. No, that's such an interesting term because I remember you saying that, yeah, there's not many people that know that term or even remember that term. So I, I just had to ask you that. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're all dead. <laughs> that, there's that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, now you could patent alive, it. They would remember it. <laughs> so, Rolly, when you were working on the propellers at WED, by the time you got to WED, Disneyland had already opened? Yes. Well, no, I was already I was working at, at the studio. When was the first time you caught a glimpse of Disneyland for the first time? When did you first see it? Uh, the day it opened. I was there on opening day. Oh wow! Because I was working in an, I was working in animation at the time, and I was watching them build all the different props and dressings at the studio for for Disneyland. We've heard horror stories about it being crowded and counterfeit tickets. What was your experiences of opening day at Disneyland? <laughs> it's a piece of shit. <laughs> you, you couldn't move. It was absolutely a nightmare. I had my daughter on on my shoulders because I didn't want to lose her. <laughs> Hold tight, baby. Daddy's got you. Oh my god! No, it's so, kind of like Mardi Gras here in New Orleans. <laughs> we're, we're from New Orleans. Uh, that's where we're talking to you from. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. Wow. It was. It was. Uh, it was very exciting. I know that <clears throat> uh, my wife and I had another two couples that wanted to go with us on opening day. Of course, there was no freeway. And luckily, I had a pickup truck. So we put mattresses in the back of the pickup truck. So the first time I saw Disneyland, I had driven down in my truck with the mattresses in the back with these friends of mine. So that shows (laughs) you what it was like in those good old days. Wow, you had like a portable hotel room. That's great. (laughs) Exactly. So I wanted to ask you, did you know when you first saw Disneyland, did you have an idea that Walt had created this wonderful place? Did you know immediately that this was something special? Oh, God, yes. Because everything was so immaculate, everything so well-designed. The architecture, the landscaping, everything about it was absolutely gorgeous. And so, you know, it was a thrill just to be there. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I'm going to jump right into my favorite thing that you worked on, and, and that's the Haunted Mansion. I, I've got a gazillion questions on this, but I know time is limited, so I'm just going to try and whittle them down. Uh, with your background in animation, what made Walt pick you to work on special effects in the mansion with Yale Gracie? Well, Yale was uh, actually it was kind of a funny story. Um, yeah, Walt put Yale and I together, and Yale was a tinker toy man that was absolutely incredible, building all kinds of funny little things. And I think uh, Walt liked my imagination. And so he felt putting us together, we'd, we'd be a good team, and, and we really were. We had a marvelous time. Of course, Yale was a hero. All I did was learn from Yale because he was very inquisitive and did all kinds of crazy things. So it was, it was a marvelous thing. Again, learning from your, your roommate <clears throat> was absolutely very special. It sounded like you could really grow in Imagineering. I don't imagine it's like that these days where you get one no, position. No. And, yeah. No, there's not the freedom or the creativity. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I, had a, <clears throat> I, I showed my film, A Wed, not too long ago, and, uh, and I got up and spoke after the film. And uh, one of the kids in the audience said, uh, Mr. Crump, uh, if you were to come back to, to WED, uh, what would you like to do or change? And I said, upper management. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I hate to tell you, this would have brought the house down. <laughs> you know, speaking of which, uh, there's a, I wanted to ask you about this. There's a rumor going around at Walt Disney World that they're going to add a Haunted Mansion-themed restaurant to the Magic Kingdom. And I was wondering if you thought the Museum of the Weird would work as a restaurant in the Magic Kingdom. No, no, no. not at all. <clears throat> no, no, not as a Museum of the Weird. That's got to be a ride or an attraction, mm-hmm. not a restaurant. So did you or Yale have any real-life ghost experience? Uh, yep. Really? Yeah, we did. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry I answered that so quickly. No, that, no that's all right. <laughs> Yale and I would sit for hours talking about ghosts, and we'd go to ghost movies and everything. Mm-hmm. And finally, I asked Yale, I said, Yale, I said, did you ever have anything happen in your life that was very unusual, that was kind of, you know, uh, on the other side? And he says, oh, yeah. I says, what, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. He says, <clears throat> the story he told me was that when he was uh, just, a, uh, I guess, a 12- or 15-year-old kid, he and his mother went to visit some family in on the East Coast. And while he was uh, visiting the family, he slept in the bedroom with the other kids. And uh, so what happened was when the last day they were there and he was having breakfast with the, with the family and the kids, she said, well, what was your favorite experience about being here? And he said, listen to the little lady that comes out of the closet every night and reads to us. <laughs> all the kids looked at me and started going, shh. You know, God, don't tell, because she'll never come back. And she says, what lady? <laughs> and I said, well, the lady that was in the closet. So, you know, when you're a kid, you believe all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, she went down to find out who owned the house before they bought it. And there was a little lady, and they actually had pictures of the little lady. And evidently, some of the kids saw the little lady and said, yeah, that's her. So there was this little ghost lady that lived in the closet that would come out every night and read to us. And I think that's one of the greatest ghost stories I've, I've ever heard, let alone tell. That is spooky. <laughs> you know that great? That yeah. is, <laughs> that's a book. <laughs> How did that not make its way into the mansion? That is the greatest story yeah, ever told. Be, that should be told somewhere, that's for sure. <laughs> Get a little old lady to come out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. This story is so good. I got to read it to you in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> so, did Walt give you any kind of an idea of a storyline for the mansion that y'all should work off of to create the def- effects? Uh, what direction did Walt give you on the mansion? I should say. <clears throat> uh, no, <laughs> uh, he had gave us no directions. <clears throat> he just told us to have fun. And uh, so that's what we did. We fooled around for over a year, building illusions and just doing crazy stuff with absolutely no continuity. (laughs) But there had been other designers in animation that had done drawings of what might be in the mansion. And there was a whole series of drawings that we looked at. And uh, one of them, there was a, a sea captain that lived in the mansion. 
there was a lot of little story sketches that we saw that were done by a lot of guys in animation, but nothing that had any continuity whatsoever. Okay. So we didn't have any continuity to work with. We just worked on illusions that would work if, uh, if ghosts lived there. Do you think that's what Walt wanted? A series of different encounters with ghosts and not one no, story? I don't think, no, I don't think he knew what he wanted. Okay. I think he was leaving it us to, up to us, and I think that's the reason when I do the Museum of the Weird, he was very intrigued by that mm-hmm. because he gave us freedom to come up with ideas that he'd never seen before. That was the one thing that he really loved. And so when I told him about the Museum of the Weird, he said... Yeah, but how are you going to use that, Rolly? And I said, I don't know. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? You've done all these sketches, and you have no idea where they go. I said, I don't have a clue. <laughs> so anyway, he said, oh, all right. And so then he got up and left, and he said, I'll see you later. And he, he walked out the door, and everybody turned to me and said, we knew that Walt wouldn't like your drawings. You know, and I said, yeah, but I was having fun with them. <laughs> and they were all based on a, a film that I'd seen uh, about Beauty and the Beast. And the beast was just something else again. And he lived in a, a huge mansion, and mm-hmm. there, there were hands on the walls that held the torches. There were sculpted faces over the fireplace. And I saw all this stuff that was really kind of realistic, I mean, you know, kind of crazy. And I, um, that's what it does, got me to do the little sketches. <clears throat> and so I think Walt was intrigued because, again, having him see something he'd never seen before turned his imagination on. Mm-hmm. Well, the next morning I came to work at 7 o'clock in the morning, Walt Disney sitting in my chair <laughs> at my desk. And, and I said, oh, good morning, sir. <clears throat> and he says, you son of a bitch. And I said, oh. And he said, no, no. I said, I didn't get an ounce of sleep last night after seeing all those crazy things that you drew. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, good. He said, well, I got it all figured out. And I said, you have it figured out? He says, yep. We're going to have a museum of the weird. And Rolly, he says, you can design all the weirdest stuff in the world that you want, and we'll put it in the museum of the weird. Wow, Meanwhile, yeah. it was just he and this big guy, Jack, for just the three of us having coffee together. And my beloved leader, Dick Irvine, who ran WED, came in <laughs> and with, with two cups of coffee trying to find Walt to give him a cup of coffee because he came to work late. <laughs> and, I, and I said, Dick, I said, we're over here. <laughs> so he came over, and then Walt said to him, he says, get the guys. I want to talk to him. So he brought all the other guys back, and he said, um, this is what we're going to do. And he designed the whole Museum of the Weird Idea and gave it to him. And then he said, I'm going to get up and go home and go to bed, because he hadn't slept at all that night. <laughs> so after he left, they came up to me and said, you know, Roly, we really knew you had something. So <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> all it takes is a little endorsement from Walt, right? That's right. Yeah. And, you and know, all, that's, all, that's all in my book, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but story is. it's so much better hearing it from your mouth. <laughs> yes. Yeah, one of the things that I love, and I read this in the book, is the whole concept of the sea captain and his wife that was behind a brick wall that would charge him uh, that uh-huh. I wish we could have had in the current iteration of the mansion. Could, could you kind of describe your concept as far as your idea uh, that you, want, you were envisioning for that particular thing? Um. That was something that Yale and I came up with. We actually um, went to do a full skies mock-up of Pepper's Ghost, and uh, which is a piece of glass that's probably 12 feet long and 6 or 8 feet high, which is the reflection that you have to deal with. <clears throat> so Yale and I came up with the idea, well, this is where the captain lives, and so we did a room that represented the captain's room. And then we came up with a mythical story that, that he had actually killed his wife and bricked her up in the wall. And... Um, so we used that as a, uh, a story sketch in our heads about how to design this room. So in the room, you actually saw the sea captain appear right in the middle of the floor, and he's wearing a, f- a slicker hat and everything like he'd been out in the ocean, and it's running off of him. But he appears very slowly like a ghost. You can barely see him, and all of a sudden he becomes a full-blown man standing there with all this rain running off of the top of him and a big puddle of fl- on the floor. And he's holding a lantern to look around in, and then the next thing you know, we see his uh, dead wife in the wall. She wow. appears very slowly in the wall. And um, all of a sudden, when she, you see her, she comes out screaming, and her whole body flies towards the, uh, the ghost of the skull, I mean, of the, of the captain. And, of course, when she gets to him, they both disappear. Well, wow. we did that illusion, and we showed it to Walt, and he just thought it was probably the best thing he'd ever seen. I, yeah, and I he just loved it. So, 
Yeah, now, just and we never got to do that because you were gonna. They put you on a ride, and you couldn't do an illusion like that and be on a ride because you only got so many seconds to look at an illusion. And in this particular case, this was probably going to run for a minute and a half. But anyway, I was thrilled about that, and so was Walt. That's an awesome visual. No, just <laughs> just reading about that and hearing you talk about it. I, I mean, we're missing out on something there because that yeah. would have been absolutely incredible. I they could have stopped the ride and just yeah. did that right there. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been good. <clears throat> but it was, it, you know why? It's because when you're using Pepper's Ghost, you really need to get involved with Pepper's Ghost. And if you're not involved, then it's just another thing on the wall, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Well, Pepper's Ghost is what makes the mansion the mansion. I mean, it's... it's Absolutely. Without Yale Gracie, the mansion would be nothing. Nothing well, at all. And, and you had a hand to play in that yourself. <laughs> yeah. You deserve a little credit, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well... Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There now, you I was, go. I wanted to ask you, now, some of the Museum of the Weird Stuff did make its way into the mansion. We had the chair with the face on it, and we had the, the clock, uh, the seance room. Um, right, right. Even the wallpaper was based on... what? Who, like, because you weren't working on the mansion, who, what Imagineer is making sure that all your stuff ends up in the mansion? Because Walt is gone at this point. Is that Claude Coates? Who, who's doing that? Oh, they're a bunch of thieves. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah, they, they, had, they had a tendency to borrow ideas that maybe somebody else came up with, and that's what took place. Borrow, you know, yeah, that's borrow. Their ideas, so they'll use them instead of saying, oh, we're using them because Rolly helped us with this. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they gave you a tombstone. They gave you some credit. Oh, yeah, they did, but that's only in Florida. I didn't get one in California. Really? I thought yours was inside the mansion. I thought you were, like, you had the best spot. You were actually inside the mansion. Uh, I really don't know. I don't think so, unless that's recent. No, no, unless it's recent. Yeah, you're right on. It's possible. Like, we're we're more um, East Coast, so we go to Disney World. Yeah, Yeah. 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 No, I don't think he's here at all. No, no, (gasps) I have never seen me here. That's a shame. I'm really upset about that. That's a shame. (laughs) I always wanted to be (laughs) Yeah, out there in the graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Don't say it too loud, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have to start a campaign, get people writing in. Um, yeah. yeah. So you yeah. expressed before that you felt like the mansion should be a walkthrough. And I heard Mark Davis one time describe the mansion that there was too many cooks in the kitchen. Was, was the Haunted Mansion, when it first opened, considered a bit of a letdown by the Imagineers who worked on it? No, I think I think everybody loved it when really? it first opened. Yeah, I did, and uh, I I, I, did, I thought it wasn't as good as what if I had stayed with it. <laughs> but no, no, because I know Dick Irvine called me in and he said, "Rolly, tell me," because I hadn't seen it, you know, because I wasn't involved with it at all mm-hmm. when they were constructing it. That's when Mark and Claude were doing it. So he called me in my office. And he said, "What do you What do you think about the haunted mansion, Rolly?" I said, "If you got a month." So I can talk to you about this. <laughs> I just felt I felt in a lot of ways, except for Yale's mm-hmm. illusions, there was a lot of things about it I thought were just a little on the corny side. See, what happened was, even Walt said people like to be scared. Well, for some reason, our beloved leader Dick Irvine didn't <laughs> want people to be scared. He wanted the mansion to you know be fun and, and having a good time with it, and that's basically what Mark did. But I think I, I preferred the fact that we were going to scare the living Jesus out of everybody. In fact, uh, we used to take people over to the sound stage to show them Pepper's Ghost. Mm-hmm. And the one thing we had was we had a big grate with a lot of threads on it. And when the people were standing there looking at our illusion, then we would lower <laughs> the threads onto the people that were standing there. And they'd start screaming because <laughs> it felt like cobwebs landing on them. Oh, that would have been incredible. No, no, it really was. That was we, well, Yale and I was always screwing around, you know. <laughs> Did you ever hear the, the story about the janitors? I, I read about the I story. I read it, but I'd like to hear it again if you don't mind telling yeah, it. I want to hear it again. <laughs> what happened was Yale and I were working on illusions in this big room, and it was all blacked off, so it was dark, because we were using UV lighting and everything. And we bought a lot of crazy heads from the magic shop downtown of Hollywood. And we had a ghost, that, that I mean, a, a big monster, and we had designed it to where if you had a little infrared gun and shot him, he'd blow up. <laughs> His head would come off and fly around the room and everything. And uh, 
the janitors call the uh, the um, uh, personnel department. Thank you, hon. The personnel department about those. T- they we wanted they wanted us to leave the lights on. We also had a ghost that was uh, <laughs> a, a silk ghost that you turn a squirrel cage fan on, and she would blow up and sh- shimmer and shake. Well. We, uh, we they came to us in the, and said, you know, the janitors want you to leave the lights on. So we said, okay. So Yale rigged, rigged the room, and it was completely kind of low lit, but it was still lit. And that once you walked halfway into the room, it, it would trigger an infrared beam. The, the ghost would come up and start uh, exploding, his head flying off his head. The ghost that was, would shimmer and shake and shave, you know, shaking uh, like a big uh, piece of silk. And uh, so we went on home. You know, we had it all rigged. We came back to work the next morning, and sure enough, she'd been shimming all night long. (laughs) (laughs) The monster's head was hanging from the ceiling, but right in the middle of the floor was a broom. And I think we got a call later on from the personnel department that said, they're never coming back. You have to clean up your own room from now on. <laughs> worth <Wow>. it. That's <laughs> really worth it. That's like you, you scared the piss out of them. They had to clean it up and they had to run away again. <laughs> <laughs> Rolly, I was going to ask you, you mentioned before that Mark Davis wanted the uh, attraction to be more funny. What was Mark like to work with? Working with Mark? Yeah. Um. Oh, I, well, of course, he had an ego the size of <laughs> 10 elephants. <laughs> was, you know, he was really kind of a neat guy, but it, he was Mark Davis. Right, and Don't right. you ever forget that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, yeah, he was impossible to work with. I know that I did the, uh, I did the, uh, the very first stretch room, you know, where you're in the mansion and, and all of a sudden the paintings all stretch. Uh-huh. Well, I did all the original paintings in the stretch room. And Mark came in one day and he says, they're no good. I'm going to redo them. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> what was I going to say to Mark Davis? Oh, no, you can't do that, Mark. You know? Jeez. Wow. Yeah, he had, he had a bit of an ego. So was he the one making the, after Walt passed, who made the call as to what stayed and what went? Like, who decided the museum wasn't going? Was that him? Was that Dick Irvine? Dick Irvine, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, Dick didn't want me to be involved with it at all. So he gave me a new job to work at Disneyland as a supervising art director for Disneyland because <clears throat> he didn't want me to wed. Mm, right. <laughs> oh, wow. Great. Yeah, y'all wow. had a very special relationship from what I can tell. <laughs> Hence the beloved leader. <laughs> yeah, BL. I like well, it. Jack, Jack Burgess came up with that title. Last question about the mansion. Uh, there's a lot of pictures of Yale Gracie uh, with the hatbox ghost. That was I know to- you know something. <clears throat> it's funny. I've never known anything about the hat box. Really, so that must have happened when I wasn't around. Okay, I didn't know if you helped work on the effect for that. That's, uh, I was just curious. No, yeah, no, I know nothing about it, and I, I, I keep hearing about it. I think, Jesus, I wonder what the hell that was. It's <laughs> supposed to be a head in the box. Yeah, that, 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 that somebody was holding, and so their own head was in this box, this hat box that they were holding. But Yale and I never worked on it together, so I don't know anything about that. Okay. Well, if I could, I'm going to change attractions just because uh, what I'm going to mention is something that's near and dear to me as a kid. Um, But Mr. Toad in Walt Disney World with the double tracks was one of my favorite attractions uh, growing up. I I absolutely loved it. And I was was one of those guys who were very upset when they took it out. Speaking of things coming and going. Oh, I was too. You know, there was signs by the employees holding up, save Mr. Toad. Yeah. And uh, I feel bad about that because what happened was that when we were getting ready to do Mr. Toad, Dick Irvine, I mean, Dick Nunes came to me and said, Rolly, he says, it's the most popular ride at Disneyland in the dark rides. He says, so could you please, uh, you know, make two of them side by side? And I said, no, no. I said, let me do something else. So I did the, the one building holds both shows and depends on which door you go in and which car you're sitting in. The beginning is, is, is exactly the same on both sides. The center is exactly the same on both sides. Mm-hmm. And the end is the same. But in between there, some of you will go through a barn with chickens all over the place. Other rides, that when you're in the rides, some of the ride part that you're on, you'll see a, a um, gypsy camp. Mm-hmm. So I really designed two rides 
two different shows in the same ride, but with different cars. And it was really, I just had a ball doing it. And I was really thrilled about the way it turned out because I could hear families coming out and said, well, did you see the chickens in the boneyard? And, the, and somebody would see in the family, no, I didn't see any chickens. <laughs> you know, I saw this and I saw that. So they would begin to argue about what was in the ride just because of the, the ride being broken into two different shows. Yeah, and, and I lo- absolutely love that about that attraction. That there's two, like two in one, basically two experiences. And the fact yeah. that I could steer it myself, you know, <laughs> granted I wasn't controlling it, but I could steer it. Yeah, and, and I re- well, I don't know. I guess it's a matter of always kind of reaching into your own imagination and mm-hmm. trying to do something better. Put it to take it to the next level. I always say, <laughs> right? And I like that. Take, take it to the next level. You're going to come up with a better end product. No, absolutely, absolutely. Speaking, if we're going to talk about Walt Disney World for a second here, I wanted to talk to you real quick about the Kitchen Cabaret. That was one of my favorite attractions <laughs> as a kid at Walt Disney World. And I used to have the little placemats and the plushes and the refrigerator magnets. And I heard that you, oh, and, that's great. you and John yeah. Hinch had an argument because John Hinch didn't like the design of the characters. And I thought they were well, great. Yeah. That's another story. (laughs) (laughs) What happened was we had designed all the uh, Kitchen Cabaret characters, and they were being sculpted. And John Hench came down one day and said, you know, these, these, you're going to have to redo these. These are not well designed. I wasn't there, but my team was there. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he says, you've got to redesign them, he said, because basically what he was saying, he says he wanted the characters to look like Moldy Fig characters. <laughs> and, you know, he wanted them to look like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. And, of course, we were trying to do something a little more stylized. So what happened was he was really getting upset down there in the model shop. So one of the guys gave me a call and said, Walt, I mean, uh, excuse me, Hatch is down here just tearing us apart. And I said, just a second, I'll be down. So I went down and I listened to John rant and rave for a while. And I said, <clears throat> he said, well, that's not Disney if it doesn't look like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and I said, you know, Walt, I said, there happens to be a film that Disney's made that won Academy Awards. And I said, it didn't look like Mickey Mouse. It was called Toot, Whistle, Blunk, and Boom. <laughs> and he just, you know, because which was a takeoff that Ward Kimball designed. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me, he turned around and walked away. Nice. <laughs> because you know what? I you know, I learned from him. Hench taught me and I knew exactly how to fight with him and, and, and get him. And so all I had to do was reach into something that really made sense and he couldn't argue with that. So that was kind of a I love that little story. Yeah. And yet he and I got along beautifully. Yeah, I was gonna say in the book you say he's one of your best friends at, at WED. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was. We used to go have drinks after work together. So, you know, Hench, Hench and Rolly, and, no, and nobody could understand how the two of us got along because if we, were so, we were in such high contrast, the way we dressed, the way, we, you know, how we acted. I did handstands on the hallway, and John would just walk by, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, uh, you were talking about your relationship with uh, John. Can you talk about your relationship with Walt? Because y'all were, y'all were not just coworkers, y'all were also friends. Yeah, well, I don't know. <clears throat> He and I kind of found a common ground, which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. That was because I was real honest with him. I was very honest. In fact, <clears throat> one of the biggest honesty I had with him was I designed the, uh, the Four Winds for the World's Fair. Mm-hmm. And I built a beautiful model. In fact, Walter and I were on television, and he was showing off the model. And then when they built the goddamn thing, they over-engineered it. And as far as I was concerned, it was ugly <laughs> because it got over-engineered. So I had to drive Walt down to the factory where they built it and um, take him to see the tower. So I went down there, and he and I stood under the fact we're on film. And we're standing there <clears throat> talking for a while. And finally Walt says, well, what do you think of it, Roly? I said, Walt, it's a piece of crap. <laughs> he said, and he said to me, he says, it cost me $200,000, Roly. It can't be a piece of crap. And so I said, okay, it's not a piece of crap. <laughs> I was always very disturbed about it. In fact, he and I went in great lengths talking about it. I said, Walt, I'd like to build another Tower of the Four Winds, but put it in a building to where it had air, you know, the control of the, of the winds because they, Disneyland was scared to death that one of the propellers would fall off and kill somebody. Oh, my and God. I understood that. So mm-hmm. Anyway, but we never did build another one. What happened to the Tower of the Four Winds? It got cut up into two-foot lengths and thrown in the ocean. Oh, no <laughs> way. That's wow. a true story. 
So it's a coral reef of sorts, maybe? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, it is a coral reef. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Some dolphin somewhere is enjoying that. Now, yeah. crazy. Yeah, because, you know what? I can't think of anybody that was a designer that would say, Walt, that what they designed was a piece of crap. So, I mean, <laughs> I got real close just with that. I mean, he knew I was honest. And I think, see, the other guys used to kind of sing and dance for him a lot. And that used to drive me crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'd talk about stuff that didn't make any sense at all, just so that they were talking. And I knew Walt put up with it. But anyway, it was, uh, I didn't want to do that. Um, going back to uh, the small world with the Tower of the Four Winds, uh, you worked with Mary Blair. Can you tell us a little bit about what Mary was like? No, she was a darling. I loved her dearly. You know, <clears throat> she was a, a goddess in my book because I'd heard about, when I was in animation, I heard about Mary. All the animators would talk about her. And because her work was real stylized, that really what I liked because it wasn't poultry fig. It was real stylized and it was mm-hmm. gorgeous. And, um, so I really always loved her work uh, to no end, and to finally meet her and work with her was an absolute treasure. And we got along, we got along famously. In fact, one of the best things we ever did together was when we shipped all the toys to the World's Fair, they came in crates, wooden crates. And so Mary and I didn't have much to do during the installation except walk around and look at stuff once in a while. So we had all these empty crates and these empty lids so one day I said, Mary, let's let's do some work. And so we got some paints out, and she would lay out something on one of the lids, and then I would paint it. And then I would lay out something on another lid, and she would paint it. <laughs> and so we actually did about a half a dozen of these, and, and one of them I think is still in existence up at the museum. Yeah. And it was just, and we had so much fun working together. I mean, it was just a ball. We just had a good time. That's awesome. Like you even snuck a tribute into Small World to Mary Blair. Can, can you tell our listeners how you pay tribute to her on the ride itself? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'm, <laughs> when we were doing the toys, I actually designed and built most of the toys, mm-hmm. and they were made mm-hmm. out of styrofoam and then paper mache. So I decided to do a, a paper mache uh, little, little doll that represented Mary Blair. <laughs> and we used, because she had blonde hair at that time, we used chicken feathers for her, her for her hair, and we put her in the same little outfit that I remember meeting her for the first time with, with black boots and a big a brown cape and everything. So I built this little thing. In fact, there's some photos of, of Mark and Walt uh, in the archives somewhere holding the little Mary Blair doll, and she's, she's still in the ride at Disneyland. <laughs> That's awesome. What do you think about them adding uh, some of the Disney characters like uh, Aladdin and, and Stitch to the original Small World ride? Well, I w- we went through the ride. Marie and I went through the ride to, to, uh, on that particular subject, and I didn't see anything that was done distastefully. I thought it was okay. It was just a little flash here and there, mm-hmm. and it's just a touch of the past, but it was all right. I wouldn't have done it, but it was all right. Yeah. I thought it fit in well. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, now, my daughter, Lillian, is, is six years old, and her favorite thing about Small World is the clock. And, uh, and I told her I was going to be talking to you, and I said, do you have any questions for Mr. Crump? And she said, yes, ask him how the clock works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. I wish I could answer it. <laughs> Although, I'll tell you one thing about the clock, and you'll enjoy this. Uh, we actually built a working model of the clock, exactly mm-hmm. the way the one is at Disneyland, but we had built this little model. We had the little characters coming out. We played the music. We did The doors opened up. We did all of that. And I was going to show that clock to Walt uh, one morning. And Dick Irvine came out and he said, um, you know, I don't think the clock is a good design. He says it doesn't have any this and it doesn't have any of that and da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> And I just looked at him, and I said, well, it's okay. And he said, well, yeah, but I'm going to have Mark Davis redesign it. <laughs> and I said, well, can we show it to Walt first? <clears throat> and he said, of course. So we showed it to Walt. And, uh, in fact, I have a picture, of, a photo in my hallway here of Walt and I looking at that during that time frame. And Dick Irvine said the same thing to Walt. You know, I think I'll have Mark Davis redesign it. And Walt looked him straight in the eye and said, I like it exactly the way it is. <laughs> so I thought, okay, good night. Dick yeah, Irvine. top that. <laughs> you got over on Dick Irvine quite a bit, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, in fact, I, I wrote quite a bit in my book about Dick. If you read my book, oh yeah, oh yes, I yes. describes you know what he was like to work with, and I know that uh, John Horney is a close friend of mine. That's also in the book. When I first talked about, it, I said, "How do you like the book?" He said, "I'm glad I'm not Dick Irvine." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I don't know. Walt made, gave me the the, the uh, chance to be free and speak myself. I mean, speak up for myself and mm-hmm. and just be me. And uh, it all worked out beautifully. Well, you gave Dick Irvine credit for being a good executive. You just said <laughs> you didn't understand the creative process. Yes. Well, uh, yeah. The truth of that is he was a good administrator when it came to producing production. Mm-hmm. When it came time for anything to be produced uh, and built, Dick was perfect. He knew exactly the, the people to put on it and everything. So he was kind of an art director but uh, for an installation under design. But he was not a designer, not a designer at all. Right. right. In fact, I have a newspaper clipping showing a sketch of him in a newspaper clipping. It said, Dick Irvine, the head of Walt Disney, I mean, Walt Disney Imagineering, but he doesn't draw. <laughs> That's a good that is awesome. Uh. <laughs> I still have that, that little piece. Um, I have a, a quick question, something totally different that I read in the book, and it has something to do with apple pie and vodka? No. <laughs> Jack, Jack Daniels and yeah. Oh, Jack Daniels. Well, and that's a gorgeous story. <laughs> it all happened in animation. Uh, a lot of the animators would get together on the weekends and pack up and go out in the desert and shoot at tin cans and sleep, spend the night on the desert, sleeping on the ground and everything. And one of the animators I worked for was one of the guys that did that. <clears throat> but he said, you know, Rolly, the best thing about going out to the desert was he said we get our wives to make apple pie. He said, so we'd go out there and we'd have the apple pie and then we'd open up Jack Daniels. <laughs> and the whole deal was you put a, a, piece, a bite of pie in your mouth and then you pour in a little Jack Daniels with it and then you have the Jack and pie at the same time. And I'll tell you, it's absolutely delicious. You've got to try it. Well, I've turned more people onto apple Jack and <laughs> I mean, Jack. Apple Jack, I like that. Yeah. an apple pie. Well, I read it, that. It, and it, I'm, it yeah. is delicious, but it's kind of a cute story again. That's what the animators did on the weekends. Yeah. Go out and shoot a tin can. Drink <laughs> <laughs> Jack. Drinking Jack and shooting guns, that's what Louisianians love to do best. <laughs> we just don't have the apple pie part. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I, one last question about uh, the small world. I, I just want to go back to it real quick. My understanding is that you made what I consider the best. Like, I like Disneyland Small World the best. But what I like about Disney World is that the whole thing is flooded and you're not going through this little chute or this, uh, yeah, the trout. Yeah. That was you? Yeah, you'll have to thank me for that. Thank you. Thank you. They, thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, really. Uh, what happened was that, you know, they were doing the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, which is water to the sets. And so when we did uh, the one for World's Fair, we didn't have time to design the building to do that. So we put a, the, the boat was in a trough and because we didn't have time to flood the, uh, didn't have time to engineer the flooding of it. <clears throat> so anyway, what happened was when we did Disney World and asked me to redesign it, I actually came up with let's have water to the sets. And so it was my idea to put the water to the sets just like the pirates. So I feel very proud. I have a lot of little things I'm proud of. That is amazing. It it, it, it took me out of it when I was in Disneyland because it, it didn't feel like I was on a boat ride going through a yeah, chute. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got tired of looking down and seeing all the cables on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you'd like to, uh, if you have time, but uh, we have a couple of questions from our listeners. If you'd like to field some of those. I'll try. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, our first question we have from our listener is from a listener we call The Raz, and she asked, of all the movies, rides, and attractions you had a hand in at Disney, what is one that you have a special attachment to, and is there a story behind it? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got to be Small World, you know, for Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are there... You know, the interesting thing is a good question that's always asked me is, Rolly, what's the favorite ride that you've ever done or the favorite project you've ever worked on? And I basically say all of them. Mm-hmm. And I even talked about designing trash cans. I've always, because I've always fell in love with everything I was designing, so I never put one before the other. 
but the one small world course got more attention than anything else I ever did. So I'm going to have to go along with that one. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. a great one. Um, mm-hmm. We have a question from Kirk Landry. Uh, he wanted to know uh, how it was picking up the pieces over at WED. After Walt was gone in, in the early 70s, what was it like at WED at the time? Well, when Walt died, we died. I mean, it was mm. as simple as that. Um, there was no leader. There was no nothing to reach out for to do something different and special. And um, no, it was it really was the end. Um, the the depre- we, what we did have was that he left us thirty years of work mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that he had approved, and so luckily we carried on for those thirty years. But we didn't have um, we we didn't have anything else. I mean, I can remember. We opened up the new Tomorrowland at Disneyland, and this was right after Walt had died. And we were all out there for opening night where they pulled, cut the cord and everything, and we just stood there and cried. Mm. <laughs> that was it. Mm. Wow. Wow, man. man. Was it a shock when you found, like, the day that it was announced that Walt had passed? Was that a shock to y'all? Did you know it was coming? or? or it... Oh, God, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, what happened was when he died... The spirit went with him. There was no spirit in Disneyland or Disney, well, at Disneyland and Disney at that time. It, it, he went right out the door with all this, the spirit and love and everything. It was, it was like, you know, it was very sad. Did you know that he was sick? Oh, we sort of had rumors mm-hmm. <clears throat> that he had got hurt in a, uh, when he played polo, and he had to go in because he had a bad back and that they were looking into something like that. Mm-hmm. And then it came out that um, almost just before he died, uh, that he had a, a you know cancer in his lungs. Mm-hmm. I think he went within three weeks oh, after wow. we knew about it, and uh, it, was, it was. I do remember seeing him at Wed before any news came out about it, and I I could see his eyes were already beginning to recess into his head, and I thought that man's sick. He looks terrible, mm-hmm. but nothing was said, and uh, just ignored it and went on. Uh, you knew Walt so very well. What do you think Walt would have thought of Walt Disney World and Epcot? Uh, I don't think he'd like it at all. Oh, okay. It wasn't his dream. I mean, they, they didn't know what to do with it. They tried to make it a, a permanent World's Fair out of it. That was Dick Irvine, I mean, John Hench, mm-hmm. to make a, a permanent World's Fair out of Epcot. And Epcot really didn't turn out, you know, anywhere near what Walt had in mind. And he would have been sick about it because, you know, he wanted a city of tomorrow. He didn't want a Walt's Fair, you know. Yeah. 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 And um, I have one last question from a listener. And he, this is from Richard Hercher. And he says, how would you change Epcot today? (laughs) Dynamite. (laughs) 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 Yeah, but I, yeah, it was... um, you know, I did the land pavilion, and I was really proud of that because it was the only pavilion that talked about the future mm-hmm. with all the hydroponics and everything and uh, fish, you know, mm-hmm. growing in little ponds and stuff. So I was always very proud of that, but that still didn't tell me that that was wet. I mean, it was Epcot. Right. Um, no, because I, I was with him too many times to hear him talk about it. Right. Uh, so, no. The Living with the Land boat ride still holds up today. It's one of the few original attractions left in Epcot. I love it. I go on it every time we're there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the only real Epcot story because it is about future. You know, seeing plants growing in space when Mm -hmm. you drive by and they go through a little like a car wash Mm -hmm. to get uh, the nutrients and stuff. And so I I was thrilled about being able to work on that. And I had Carl Hodges out of um, Arizona, who was the leading guy on on the uh, hydroponics. And Carl is really what made the land pavilion what it is. And again, it's all the different people you worked with that made it happen. It's mm-hmm. not just one. It's the whole teamwork. Yeah. So I'm very proud of Carl. In fact, I've got him mentioned in my book, Carl Hodges was a brilliant, brilliant man. And thank God for him, because he's the one that really structured the, the land pavilion. I mean, uh, John Hinch didn't want any life plants in the in the pavilion he wanted a bunch of fake plants and i said no john we're not going to do that we're going to have real plants he said no they'll die well they sure as hell didn't no (laughs) (laughs) nice because we knew what we were talking about (laughs) those plants have outlived john (laughs) yeah yeah they did (laughs) yeah real quick roly uh i wanted to i wanted to say this to you uh i know you 
started design work on the Life Health Pavilion, and you yeah, just you yeah, were, I designed the Life Health Pavilion, which never got built. God damn it! Yeah. I mean, that was going to be one of the best pavilions going. One of my favorite things that you said in the book was how much you did not like Body Wars, that motion simulator they put in there. Oh, God, it's a horse piece of crap. Yes. Well, you know, they, they, when they redesigned it, uh, they changed all my work that I was in charge of. And yet they had the same team that worked with me on the original one. Mm -hmm. But, of course, the art director that they gave it to wouldn't use any of the, the, that ideas, those ideas. Uh, that's just uh, egotism working, you know. No, we had we had we had fun stuff in there. I've got all the original artwork I did for it here at home. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all that. I all the characters it. I developed and designed. Wow, that's a lot and of work. The shows and stuff. So I've got I've got an archive here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that. I mean, that that Body Wars ride, that that motion simulator, made me and my family sick. Made we, me sick too. Yeah. yeah, we hated that that ride that they put they in hated there. Hated that ride. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't blame you. I did too. <laughs> Your body went to war with you. Another piece yeah. of crap. Piece of crap. Well, listen, I want to tell you, I enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. That was a pleasure. I'm going to have my glass of water and fade now. <laughs> That's a, those are some great stories. Rolly, this is a real delight. Thank you so much for Absolutely. taking the time to do yeah. this. I really appreciate it. This is a dream for all of us being able to talk to you. And thank you so much for everything that you did for our childhoods, our listeners' childhoods, and our children's childhoods. Very inspiring. It's very oh, appreciated. Great, great. Well, I appreciate you listening to me. <laughs> oh, uh, anytime. That was Always. fun. Sir. We I could definitely it. do that. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Bye. 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 Marie. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Marie, for helping out. Oh, you're welcome. You're, you're very welcome. My pleasure. This was an absolute pleasure for us. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. It sounds like it, and it really, uh, it's all worth it. Oh, absolutely. Thank, Thank you, guys. Dave, Thank you. Kevin. Thank you, Marie. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Weekends, ladies and gentlemen, God, I hope you really enjoyed that interview, man, because we enjoyed, I don't know if you can tell, but we totally enjoyed talking with Roly. I, I, I was nervous for like the first 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, just to talk of somebody of that caliber, even though, you know, he doesn't perceive himself on that high of a pedestal, but uh, to, you know, to the Z fan universe, I mean, yeah, he's, uh, he's up there. He, <laughs> he deserves that respect. He's a Disney legend. He's responsible for a lot of what you see in Walt Disney World, Disneyland, all the parks. And so, we, you know, we just got to definitely appreciate him. We didn't even get to talk about his time at the Tiki Room and what he mm -hmm. did there. Yeah. No. His side projects. Oh, no. Stuff. None of that. No. We could absolutely have him on again. But yeah. out of respect for him, uh, we're going to promote some of his materials before we promote ours. If you want to learn more about Rolly Crump, it's documented in uh, numerous places. Uh, number one, he has a book. It's kind of a cute story by Rolly Crump, as told to Jeff Heimbuck. And if you don't own that book, go get it now. Guys, I, I, I'm not kidding. I'm, I told Rolly this. I don't know if it's going to make air or not. I read Marty Sklar's book. I've read John Hinch's book. I've read a lot of different books. Rolly's book was the one book that I could not put down. No, it's great. It's a wonderful book. And a lot of the stories are, are going to be stories that if you've listened to interviews with Rolly, you've heard them before. But... He tells him a little bit different every single time. And, and there's it, a lot that he doesn't tell, too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if, you, if you're a Disney, any kind of a Disney fan, yeah. a big fan, and you have a library collection, that has to be in your library. If not, Absolutely. you need to do that now. And I'll, sure, I'll include, well, I'm not going to include a link. You, you choose your vendor, <laughs> and then you, you buy the book. But I'll give you the title of the book and the author, but yeah. get that book. Stick Along, it in there. Stick it in there. <laughs> Along with that book, you could also buy recordings that were kind of a continuation of this book. It's called More Cute Stories, and it's volumes one, two, three, and four. And I've listened to all of them as well, and yes. they're absolutely incredible. So if you want to hear the stories, not in book form, as told by Rolly Crump himself, you definitely want to pick up those for, you know, just buy the package. It's like just, under 10 yeah. bucks. It's under 10 bucks. Buy the book. Buy the thing. You can even download it to your Kindle if you want to listen to it that way. If you don't want to wait for it to ship in, I bought the hard disk because I'm old school, and so I have a backup <laughs> copy, and I also have it on my iPod. So, yeah, those are, your, I think, one of your main sources of information for Rolly Crump that you want to have in your library now. Yes. Um, along with that, also, you can patronize his website, rollycrump.com. Uh, you can see some of his artwork. You, probably, you, know, you can see some, a lot of the stuff that he's done. Also, too, you go to rollinfargocrump.com, 
and you can purchase a film by Ken Kibo entitled The Whimsical Imagineer. And I just bought it today, as a matter I, of fact. Waiting for mine to arrive. I bought it over the weekend. And according to the website, if you order your DVD copy now and receive a freak DVD, that's cute. <laughs> if you order your DVD copy now, and re- you will receive a free copy of a Walk in the Park audio CD with Rolly Crump's walking tour of Disneyland. It's <laughs> worth it just for that. Exactly. Right. Even some of the names that they have associated with this film. He has Chris Crump, which, you know, is his son. I wanted Bob, to ask him about Chris. I forgot yeah. a chance to. Yeah. Bob Gurr, John Horney, which he has a great story in the book about John Horney and, and, paint, and mm-hmm. paint on his trousers and meeting somebody pantless. <laughs> and uh, Steve Kirk. So... <laughs> This is yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, I, I bet it I, is. If I could tease that enough, you have to buy the book and read it yourself because I'm not going to tell you here, <laughs> all right? Because it's, that's such a great story. But yeah, definitely patronize that. RollingCrump.com, RollingFargoCrump.com. Check out those two places and learn more about one of these amazing Disney legends. Okay, and so of course, if you want to support us, you could do that too. Um, if you want to get in touch with us and ask us, you know, anything about the show that you heard or whatever else. You can do so through the following ways. You can shoot us an email at show at magicarway.com. You can call or send us a text at 1-815-MOWEEKEND. That is 1-815-MOWEEKEND. 669-4226. And you can leave a voicemail via our speak pipe on our homepage. And, of course, we've got a couple of guys that do things outside of the podcast. And, first of all, you can book a vacation with Lee. He's a member of Magical Moments Vacations, which is a platinum earmarked Disney travel agency, which basically means they give him a lot of money. <laughs> um so uh, you know Cha-ching. that's right you know um so if you want to book with lee man shoot an email to him at lee at magic uh that is the the way to support the show in addition to supporting lee and you can text him or call him at 413 diz trip that's 413 d-i-z-t-r-i-p and a portion of every book with lee supports the show as well as support this particular group, Girl Power to Cure, which is an organization dedicated to raising awareness and funds for the treatments and a cure for Rett syndrome. So you're help you're helping twice there, man. It's a good good. Or just text him Djibouti. Just out of nowhere. <laughs> just text him Djibouti. Text him Djibouti. With no Hasselvika. With no Hasselvika. Maybe use that little money uh yeah. what do you call it? Emoji. You just you toss it on this phone. Guys, look, you think you got to text Lee, you got to book a trip. No, just text him whatever you want to text him. Send him an emoji. I don't yeah. know. He'll race you. Yeah. We're regular guys. We Not laugh afraid. at that. Right. Bother him at work. He likes that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he might comment on it. It'd be funny. You good people. And speaking of good people and regular guys, we have Eli that does things with comic books. Eli, why don't you tell the listeners what you got going on? Oh, you know the story. It's all about the glory. I'm the comic guru in John Comics. What I do. You go to www.ivorycomics.com. You can see interviews. You can see pictures of Project Geisha. You can see the Savages. You got, I'm there. That's why you'll <laughs> find me. But if you want to go ahead and say, hey, what you got beyond that in social media? Facebook.com, Eli H. Ivory. You can find me there. Project Geisha has her own page on Facebook.com. I've, I've been posting up some uh, some new artwork on the uh, the new Geisha novel coming out. Uh, Instagram, eivory504, and Hancock10166. That's where you'll find me on Twitter. Awesome. And if you want to support the show as a whole, you can do so through the following ways. You can click on some of those affiliate links on our website. You can also buy us some beignets and support the show that way. You can also buy some clothing from our shop and support the Moeekin Nation wherever you go. And one of the easiest things you could do that doesn't really cost some money, but just a little bit of your time, please leave a rating and a review in iTunes or wherever you download the show, whether it is Stitcher, Blueberry, Google Play, etc. And of course, we thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us and making us a part of your Disney fan life. We appreciate you and love hearing from our listeners. All opinions are welcome on the Magic Our Way podcast, so get in touch with us today. So, Moegans, ladies and gentlemen, we say Quaharini. My name is Kevin. And I'm Danny. Magic out. I have every intention of eating those bananas for breakfast, but I still somehow end up with tacos. Necessities are Mother Nature's recipe. Hey guys. Hey, you hear that? Yeah. Yes. You know what that is? Tony Bennett? It is Tony Bennett. Oh man, Italians recognizing Italian. You know what song <laughs> he likes that? What song is he singing? Well, the song that Lee couldn't sing when he was trying to do it for the navigator. Oh wow. <laughs> 
Hey, but do you, do you know what I'm listening it on? This is Mad Hatter Radio, which is an ra- online radio station of Disney fan stuff that we have partnered up with, man. How do you like that? Partners here on the Gulf Coast, Magic Our Way and Mad Hatter Radio. Mm-hmm. Oh, creative buffs on radio stuff. That's like right. It. Yeah, it's good. It's another outlet. Uh-huh. You know, it, 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 what's good about it, yeah, let me tell you what's good about it. You hear Tony Bennett. Mm-hmm. But you could probably hear Bare Necessities done by like a, a metal group, a heavy metal group. You could mm-hmm. probably hear a country version of this. Oh, wow. You could probably hear like a funk version, James Brown type of... Hey! Give me a Bare Necessities. <laughs> oh, get on, Get up again. Oh, yeah. You know? Tub, what you say now? <laughs> Disney. That's right. You can hear that all on the station, man. It's, <laughs> they don't just give you the normal spiels and, and, and r- attraction sounds, but they give you... Every creative variation that other artists have taken to the standard Disney songs. Like Tony Bennett right here. This yeah. little jazzy version of the Bare Necessities. You know? I'm thinking about Goodfellas right now. I don't know why. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada boom. Well, listen to this station, okay? It's good for you. It's good for me. It's going to go ahead. It's going to help you out. It's going to make me out. It's going to be really good. Okay? Man had a radio. Bada bing, bada boom. Just do it, huh? Bada boom.